While your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. I'm Marcus. I'm Marcus. 508-996-0500 is how you can get on the program this evening. We've got a good show for you today. It's just me for the first hour. Uh, Chris is. will be back tomorrow. And tomorrow, Chris and I have uh, Evan Gendro, who's the um, candidate uh, running against Paul Schmid in the... Um, in the general election, you know, we had some primaries with with uh, Chris Markey and Bill Strauss, and they won their primaries. And now Bill Strauss moves on to a general election against Jeff Swift. Um, and over here in, uh, you know, Fairhaven in the Tri Town, at Evan Gendro uh, runs, uh, and Evan Gendro's running in the general as a Republican against Paul Schmid. Um, so that's an interesting race. Paul Schmid will be on like a week or two later. I believe Paul Schmid scheduled for October third. So that will be on for tomorrow with Chris. Today I wanted to do a couple things. First at 8 o'clock we have uh, Adam Bass. He's, uh, I had him on my old, I had uh, Adam on my old, um, on my old show a couple times, the Marcus Ferris. I thought he did a really good job, uh, especially with, I think he, he'll be good. He'll be a great guest for the, um, for the type of show that you know we're we're doing here on South Coast tonight, where we, you know, we talk about the local issues uh, over here in the South Coast, but we also talk more broadly about the the issues uh, across the Commonwealth. And so he he's a reporter up in Attleboro, North Attleboro, um, at the North Star Reporter. He's uh, you know worked for a couple TV stations um, and. Um, he, you know, knows a lot about Massachusetts politics. We're going to talk actually about, you know, stuff in the northern half of Bristol County, which, you know, he, he proposed that idea to me. And I thought it was a great idea because we have someone from northern Bristol County running in a, you know, in the election of the, of the, of the, year, uh, you know, the election of the season down here in, uh, in Bristol County, which is the sheriff's race. You know, you have Attleboro Mayor Paul uh, Haru running against Tom Hodgson. There was a, actually a good article in the Sun Chronicle about how if Paul Haru were to win, it'd be like something, it'd be like the, the, the first time in like 40 years someone's held a, either like the DAs or the, um, the DAs or the, uh, or the, or the sheriff's office without being from, New Bedford or Fall River here in the South Coast. 
because you know you think of Bristol County, you think of you know you think of uh, New Bedford, you think of New Bedford. I mean New Bedford and Fall River rather. You think of New Bedford and Fall River. I get you know you'd throw Taunton in there too, maybe. But Attleboro wasn't really part of it, you know, and or Mansfield or Norton, right? So we don't think a lot of those. We, we don't think about a lot of that stuff down here. It is really dominated by. Fairhaven, I mean Fall River and New Bedford. I keep saying Fairhaven because I live here. Fall River and New Bedford, and a lot of that is because that's where all the a lot of the votes are, right? It's kind of the same principle statewide with Boston. There's a lot of votes in Suffolk County. Down here, the votes are in Fall River and New Bedford. You know, the population size it's not even close. There's about a couple hundred thousand uh, just in New Bedford alone is a hundred and what five thousand people. And I think that's more than Taunton and Taunton and Attleboro combined. So. Um, that's, we're going to have, uh, we're going to have Adam Bass come on and talk about, you know, stuff going on up there. We're also going to talk about some Massachusetts politics. So I want to pick his brain on a few things and, uh, I'm really excited about that. I'm taking your calls throughout the entire show at 508-996-0500, kind of open phone lines. We can talk about whatever you want. You know, we'll definitely hit on a lot of the statewide races that we're all, you're all talking about. Uh, we'll talk about Biden's visit to Massachusetts because that was a huge deal, and um, we'll 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 hit on that as well. I wanted to start the con- I wanted to start the show talking about something Chris and I had a discussion on um, yesterday. We were talking about the Plymouth County DA's race, and you know, there's a lot of you directly in our listening audience. You know, some of you just a couple, two, three miles down here. Uh, down from the station who are impacted by this race. He lived in Mattapoisett, Marion, Rochester, Lakeville, Middleborough, Plymouth, Wareham, Carver. And I know we have people in those in the listening audience from all of those areas. So this is a big deal. Um, I think this is now, now that the DA's, a lot of the DA's races are basically over in the, at the primary, uh, Tom Quinn, you know, basically he got reelected essentially because he won his primary and there's no general election. Um, in the Berkshire County, there was, uh, the incumbent Andre Harrington actually lost, um, to, uh, def- I think a defense lawyer named Timothy Chagru actually lost. Um, but that race I believe is over. Suffolk County DA's race is over at the primary as well. So this is the, I mean, there's a, there's a Barnstable County DA's race uh, between um, Dan Higgins, who used to work, who worked for Michael O'Keefe. Michael O'Keefe is the, uh, you know, the 20 year retiring incumbent DA. And uh, this defense attorney named uh, Robert Gadboys. But, um, in Plymouth County, you know, again, we have a lot of people in our listening audience that are directly effect, uh, impacted by this DA's race, and it's really important. So it's important to talk about, um, you know, not just the race, but sort of the the warring philosophies. You have uh, ACLU attorney, um, former prosecutor in Suffolk County, uh, an ACLU attorney, um, worked for uh, Civil Rights Legal organization in boston i I keep forgetting the name uh rasan hall who's running on the democratic side it's got a lot of money in the bank so far has gotten strong support from a lot of uh democrats across the board um andrea campbell who's going to be the next attorney general uh has endorsed him 
Um, Joe Kennedy, uh, former Congressman Joe Kennedy's endorsed him. Uh, Elizabeth Warren and Ed Markey, our two senators, have endorsed him. Uh, and again, a lot of money going into the race. A few hundred thousand dollars, I think, has gone. Uh, probably about 150 the last time I checked. Might be more now. Probably will be by the time the race is over. On the other side, employment, uh, the the longtime incumbent DA, Tim Cruz, well, he's been there for a long time, 21 years. He, he's, he was appointed in 2001 by Jane Swift uh, after Dan Sullivan, uh, who was the Plymouth DA at the time, got called up to the uh, got called up to the uh, attorney general's, um, I'm not U.S. attorney's office by the Bush administration. So uh, Tim Cruz has been there for 21 years. Uh, it, it's not, and it's not because Democrats haven't tried to run against him. That they have, and they've lost. The last guy he beat, John Bradley. I think Tim Cruz got 57 percent of the vote, something like that. 57 percent of the vote. I think I think they got. So Tim Cruz has been challenged and been soundly reelected for the last 21 years. But I think Rasan Hall probably presents more of a unique challenge with his backing. With his ability to fundraise, and I think with his presence, he's a he's a good speaker. He's a reverend, so he's a good he's a really strong speaker. Has a really sonorous voice too. Um, you've probably heard him. I've interviewed both guys. I thought they were they were great. They were both a lot of fun to interview, uh, Cruz and Rasan Hall. But and I know a lot of people got a lot of interest in that because they were they were um, there were a lot of calls that came in, you know, from people that I know live in Plymouth County and were wanted to talk to their current DA and, you know, someone who's trying to be the next DA. Um, but, you know, when I asked Tim Cruz, what's the difference? I always ask, I always ask this uh, of, of candidates, what's the difference between you and, you and your opponent? Um, because campaigns are about drawing contrasts between you and the people that you're running against to tell people why you're the most qualified uh, and you should be in that office. And uh, Tim Cruz said, my opponent and I are nothing alike. Right. Very drew a line in the stand right there. He said, we are nothing alike. And I don't know. That's I mean, they're very much not. They're very, I think, starkly different candidates. But I think there's a lot of similarities in the fact that I think D.A. Cruz understands that. And a lot of this is what Rasan Hall's trying to say. I think it's maybe Rasan Hall's maybe trying to draw on or expand um, what Tim Cruz was saying, you know, uh, on our show. Cause I asked him, you know, he talked about, I don't believe in do not prosecute lists. Right. And that was made famous by Rachel Rollins, the Suffolk County DA. Um, so Rachel Rollins diverted 57% of the cases. Now diversion doesn't always mean not like dismissed, like, okay, see you later. We're not, we're not going to do anything at all. Sometimes it means drug court. Sometimes it means some other means, uh, maybe a pretrial. I, I, I'm not sure if pretrial probation, it should count as a diversion. I'm not sure if it does, but a pretrial probation, um, which, you know, there might be some conditions attached. Maybe a pretrial probation, something like that, right? But, um, and pretrial probation is different from like a regular probation. Pretrial probation is basically, uh, you know, you you put the case on pretrial probation for like it's it's something that's rare you really can't get very often um but you you know basically you put a case on for you put it on pretrial probation maybe with a condition or two for six months right 
And if nothing happens in six months, if you don't screw up or if you don't violate whatever condition the judge might have given you, uh, then the case gets dismissed. So, uh, Rachel Rollins diverted 57% of her cases that she, which she reported and the crime had dropped. Right. Um, and we were talking with Chris about this and I know Chris and I, and I'm not, you know, Chris isn't here today. He'll be back tomorrow. He'll be back and other shows and we'll have time to argue about this, but it's a topic I'm interested. So I wanted to keep on talking about it. Um, but we were talking about, Oh, well, well, uh, is that because the police just aren't doing, you know, just aren't arresting people now because they know that the case isn't going to be seen through the data says, and I said this last night, the data says that, and a caller had called and, and made this point too. The data says that, cause they did a study because Dan Conley before Rachel Rollins had diverted 42% of his cases. Dan Conley was the predecessor to, um, Rachel Rollins, the DA's office had been a long time DA in Suffolk County. They diverted 42% of his cases. And they found that the people that were had their cases not prosecuted, so diverted somehow, were 58% less likely to get arrested again. By studying, you know, they studied 67,000 cases that were diverted under, um, under, under Dan Conley and found that, again, uh, they were 58%... Think less likely to get um, get arrested again. So it's not a matter of when you look at the individuals who are getting their cases diverted, either through drug court or either through um, or or even a dismissal, right, or a pretrial probation, some condition like that. You're finding that they're actually not offending, right? So it's not even a matter of because this is happening. This is this is over a period of, you know, before Rachel Allen's even took office, before the the sort of wave of progressive prosecutors, quote unquote, progressive prosecutors that have come in basically since 2018. Right. You had Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, uh, Chesa Boudin, who actually got recalled. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons behind that. But and Rachel Rollins, a few others. Uh, that data was actually before this. This was even really a conversation, like a real national conversation that a lot of a lot more people were aware of. So I don't think the discouragement, you know, whatever the police not arresting people, I don't think plays a factor in that because you can say, oh, well, there are a lot, you know, the, the police have been disheartened over the last couple of years because of all of the tensions between the police and the community after George Floyd, and that sure that all that all that all makes sense. That all makes logical sense. But before all that. The data shows that 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 this is that diversion right works. It works as a uh, a means of improving public safety. And every DA, I think, in the Commonwealth, whether or not they're more conservative, believes in diversion. I know DA Quinn's office believes in diversion because I've had cases that have been diverted under DA Quinn's office when I was a defense attorney. And I know Tim Cruz believes in diversion because he said it here, right? He said, he said, um, he actually said these progressive prosecutors pretend that they made up, they invented diversion. They didn't. It's been around for 40 years. Maybe it's around more than it used to be because, you know, you already saw, I already talked about the, the spike in, in diversion from Dan Conley's office from 42% to 57% of Rachel Rollins. And I'm not sure exactly the numbers everywhere else. So maybe it's happening 
uh, more, or maybe there's more attention to it. But I think every DA believes in some sort sort uh, form of of diversion. I because I liked what DA Cruz said was, "It's not your grandfather's DA's office." Now, Rasan Hall, I'm imagining, wants to have, has a more expansive view on stuff that should be on cases that should be diverted, which means either dismissed or you know taken to drug court, some other alternate means besides seeing this to an end, seeing this. Uh, seeing a case to, an, uh, you know, to trying to see a case to an end, which means, you know, continue without a finding, uh, which is a plea, which is an admission on the record without finding you guilty. But you're admitting basically that the, the Commonwealth would have found you guilty if they tried your case. Um, and that's, you know, it goes on for a period of however long. And then it gets, to, you know, and then, you know, if you get to continue without a finding, it gets dismissed after a period of what's, you know, a year, two years, whatever. Um, and then it, you know, it's on your record as a dismissal. But, you know, if you get a quaff on an OUI, the next OUI you get is an OUI too, right? If you get a quaff on a, on a uh, domestic case, the next domestic, you know, that's, that's, that's going to be held against you. So it gets held against you if you reoffend offend uh, on quaff. Uh, on so, you know, seeing it through like to a quaff or to a, uh, to a guilty plea or a conviction or going to trial, um, I think they all believe in that. I think it's just Rasan Hall seems to have a more, I think has a more expansive view. He said he's going to implement a do not prosecute list in Plymouth County. He said they haven't come out with a list yet. I don't know if they are before the campaign's going to end. Uh, maybe maybe they have, and I, I, I haven't seen it yet. Um, they said they're going to, because a caller asked, a caller called in and asked him on the program if they were going to come out with it. But, you know, I wanted to continue this because I think it's important. It's something I, you know, I worked in personally. I've seen... You know, the good that a, a, a diverted case can do if it gets sent to drug court. I sent a case to drug court one time. I got a case sent to drug court one time and really heartbreaking. The guy got indicted after. It was really terrible. He had a bad record. Um, but uh, but the good that diversion can do um, for people and the interest in public safety in diverting certain cases. Because I think we all agree, you know, you're seeing this with the marijuana cases, uh, you know, with marijuana and all that. I think we agree that a lot of stuff that's on the books, you know, as crimes, as serious crimes, as stuff that people went to jail for, in a lot of cases, you know, might not be things they should have gone to jail for. 508-996-0500, you know, like marijuana. 508-996-0500. Let's go to the phones. Good evening. You're live. Hi, um, I'm just curious um, <clears throat> with the diversion programs. Is it that the person is given a second chance and they're so you know overwhelmed by the generosity of the DA that they just decide not to commit crimes anymore? Is it like is it well, like that kind of magic? Or no, it's not. I mean, it's not magic. Again, it's it's borne out in the data <laughs> that it, that it, that it works. But a lot of the times, like if you instead of diverting a case, bring it to drug court. That's not, you know, the the magic of gratification of being thankful. It's it's an actual um, program implemented by the courts to send somebody to uh, a treatment program so that they can get their life back on track. Furthermore, okay. there's you you know the, there's evidence of of you know we have a higher recidivism rates, which means people reoffend at a higher rate um, uh, than I think most countries. If you put somebody in the system their likelihood of going back in the system obviously increases because, you know, you get that black mark on your record. You're unable to, and a lot of times, uh, get get federal housing, you know, apply for certain jobs. So your way of making a living with 
less uh, of more conventional means becomes impacted by the thing that you were convicted of. So, yeah, I, and I understand, you know, with with drug offenses, that that treatment programs um, are are the way to go, so that folks can get clean. And part of the reason they're committing the crime is so they can get money to to feed their habit. But for things like um, shoplifting, and I guess there's there's a new list. Was it Chicago or Detroit um, that came out recently of crimes they're not going to prosecute anymore? And the, the crimes were like kidnapping. Um, so, so that was um, so that was a cash bail. Uh, that's so I haven't read that fully yet, but that's a cash bail law that was signed um, by JB Pritzker, and there are certain offenses that qualify. So they, got, I think they got rid of cash bail, um, basically mm-hmm. saying so. There's instead of they're going to probably do a tr- pretrial services program. I imagine again, I haven't I haven't fully read up on this, but I know in a state like New Jersey, they got rid of cash bail. They have a pretrial services program instead, and it's either you know you're either held basically uh, without bail or you're released and maybe on a supervised uh, on a supervised release to, uh, release instead. Because what they're saying is you know you shouldn't basically you shouldn't be held in prison because you might not have the means to pay your bail. I see. I appreciate you explaining that um, because on the face of it, it doesn't look great. You know, you, you see, you know, just a, a quick at a glance, um, you know, but, you know, maybe there's there's some. And, and besides, it, but, but besides the data, I mean, you know, data can be skewed any way you want. Of course, it to be sure. Skewed, and I wonder if the DAs aren't just trying to clear their dockets of the, the things that are bothersome rather than, you know, having to deal with those and the major crimes that are happening as well. Yeah, maybe. I mean, a lot of these people, a lot of the people that get in, I mean, they're they're asking for the job. So I don't know if they're asking for it to just to get their clear the docket of things that they don't want to deal with. I'm not sure. But um, uh, yeah, I have that. I mean, that law might be I haven't read it yet. I haven't read much about it. It might be too expansive uh, for all I know. But I do know that the cash bill in a lot of cases can be very problematic. I've had people be held because they can't afford a couple hundred dollars. You know, there's um, that that happens very very often, and uh, for low level offenses, and if you just get held for even a couple weeks, that can do a lot to 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 mess things up for you. No, absolutely. I appreciate you explaining it. And I, I have to tell you, I love the show. So Thank you. I appreciate it. The great work. No Thank problem. you. I appreciate that. Hey, listen, I got to take this break. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred is how you can get in the program. I guess Chris will be back tomorrow. And uh, we'll we'll have uh, Evan Gendro on, who's running for state rep down here. Uh, we'll have Paul Schmidt on a week or two later as well. He's got a few got a few things on the books uh, for this for these um, for these elections coming up, and, and I'm really excited about it. I know uh, you all are too. But so, so we were talking about um, sort of the DA's races, progressive prosecution, uh, diversion. Um, diversion and, uh, you know, more progressive, you know, approaches to criminal justice. A lot of people call it a smart on crime. Um, Eric Holder, I think he might've, I don't know. That's the first time I heard smart on crime is when Eric Holder in like 2015, which to me was irresponsibly late, but, uh, in, uh, in his, uh, in their tenure, but Eric Holder in his, in 2015, it started saying, okay, there's a few drug offenses. There's a few things that we're going to treat differently. We're going to use our discretion because, you know, a lot of people do say, oh, we have to, you know, we can't pick and choose the laws that, you know, we enforce or whatever, but that's not true. Uh, the executive branch, 
always has prosecutorial discretion. Uh, there is a thing in the DA's, I don't know, it's the official title of thing. There is a, a thing in the DA's office called a null pros, uh, where if they, you know, because with a dismissal, a judge actually has to agree, right? But if the judge doesn't agree, you can just null pros it, and, or you can just null pros it anyway, and the judge can't do anything about it. But, um, you know, if a judge refuses to dismiss something and you null pros it, it's pretty, you know, it'd be funny, but I don't know if <laughs> it'd be smart. But, uh, so I was just looking at the, so, um, about the Illinois law, I got, I had a chance, you know, we're lucky to have these robust, uh, commercial breaks because everybody's so enthusiastic about getting ad space on this show. So, um, there are, there are uh, non-detainable offenses uh, in this new Illinois Act. The opponents of it um, tried to label it the Purge Act, which it's honestly, it's really good, um, you know, political branding, uh, kind of like the Don't Say Gay Bill in Florida. You know, a lot of concerns like, that's not what it means. I'm like, I, don't, I know, but it's branding. You know, same thing with Obamacare. It's not what it's the actual name of the bill is, but it's good branding. Uh, I think the Purge Act is 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 smart branding because it's something that people, uh, first of all, the word itself is kind of scary, and it's something that people know in pop culture. You know, the Purge, if you're not familiar, is a movie in which, for one day, um, all crime is basically permit uh, permissible, and so uh, it's just for one day. And they say, uh, you know, it's it's a whole thing. There's a lot of movies that came out about it. So they're calling they're trying to call it the Purge Act. But it's called like the Safety Act, and it basically, um, there are certain things, there are certain crimes that cannot that uh, are non-detainable offenses. Uh, I would imagine drug offenses are one of those things. Probably shoplifting. Probably a few other things that are um, mostly victimless, if not. Uh, more de minimis harm type of crimes because in a lot of cases they're saying, you know, basically your ability to your your solvency shouldn't be a reason to um shouldn't be a reason that you're held in prison. You know, I've I've had and even when the judge tries to give you a break in a lot of cases and they say, Oh, they got a little bit of a record, so I gotta put some bail, you know and they put like $200 bail or $100 bail, that sometimes is more than a person can afford. There's a lot of people out there that, especially that are that are, that are are caught in the criminal justice system, uh, that uh, $100 is a lot of money and more than they have on them or more than anybody around them is, is willing or able to lend to them for the duration uh, of this, um, of this process. And so if you're held people that are held if you're held on bail you can lose your job you can lose your um kids right you can lose your housing you know you can miss rent so um it can seriously if you if you're held you know if you're held in a pretrial detention so you're being held essentially and most people that are being held by the way most people incarcerated throughout the country are held in pretrial pretrial detention the majority of people that are held today have not been convicted of the thing that they're being held for so um 
what they're and, and there's other there's other states that have done that. I, I know New Jersey's done a pretrial services a pretrial services program where basically they have um, uh, a more supervisory role over people who might be released instead of doing the the hard cash bail. Uh, and sometimes you know you're there's a you know the, having conditions upon your releases is, is nothing new. They have it here in Massachusetts too, and probation offices typically oversee the you know the the release of um people on release people who have uh conditions and that. so like if you get released on you know whatever uh drug free with screens right if you get released whatever hundred dollars cash bail drug free with screens if you really, and all that you just got to check into probation afterwards and someone's overseeing that and if you violate it you know if you don't you know if you don't show up or you get a or you fail your drug test you um you get, you know, you there's there's a they go into revoke your bail, basically, uh, a bail revocation. So, uh, in here, there's um, a lot of cases. So basically, in in Illinois, um, they said essentially it's called the Pretrial Fairness Act, uh, part of the um, Safety Act. So it looks like a pretty comprehensive reform law. And they're saying that there are certain crimes that are non-detainable offenses, uh, and judges, but judges will still be allowed to order pretrial detention under specific circumstances. So it says basically a text of the law, the plain text of the law says, detention shall only be imposed when it's determined that, defend, uh, that the defendant poses a specific, real, and present threat to that person or has a high likelihood of willful flight, right? Which is a lot of the, you know, basically the crux of the argument here in Massachusetts for for um, uh, for uh, for the bail statute. You know, basically, is the person a danger to the public? Um, do they have a likelihood of, of fleeing? So, um, uh, you know, what's going to be evaluated is the nature and circumstances of the charges, the weight of evidence against the defendant, the defendant's history, characteristics, and the risks that would be propo- uh, that would be posed by the release will all be evaluated. Um, and they said the state will bear the burden of proof in cases to require present clear and convincing as evidence that the defendant committed an offense that qualifies for pretrial condition. So the offenses... Um, is basically a forcible felony that comes with a mandatory sentence upon imprisonment without probation upon conviction. So obviously, like, first-degree murder is one of those things you're going to be held for, right? Um, First-degree murder, second-degree murder, predatory uh, uh, criminal sexual uh, assault, robbery, burglary, residential burglary, aggravated arson, arson, kidnapping. All of those charges, um, the the most serious ones you can think of uh, would be um, would be would would qualify for uh, uh, pretrial detention if they're charged with stalking or aggravated stalking. If they're charged with the domestic ba- uh, battery, um, uh, and their release would pose a threat. So the judge would have to say that in writing. And I imagine the way that this is going to be applied, honestly, is going to be applied very loosely anyway. The judge would just have to propose. Um, I don't know how a lot of that's going to depend because that's very murky. Uh, that's very murky, right? A lot of that's going to depend on whether or not the how 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 strictly reviewed the judge's reasoning is going to be, right? So if they're going to say, 
you know, if this were to happen here in Massachusetts and they said, oh, it depends on if the judge gives a good reason, basically, if it's going to uh, propose a threat to somebody or uh, to society in general. It, it depends on how thorough they have to be in that reasoning. And I imagine there's probably going to be some, you know, uh, state Supreme Court decisions on that, whether or not. You know, the judges can, you know, they have to have very specific reasons why, or they can just say, well, danger to so-and-so, who is the victim in this case. A lot of that can happen. You know, there was a a bail case, basically, that came down. Uh, is it called Brannigan? I've been out of practice for a few years, but it was an SJC case. I think it was called Brannigan. It was basically saying, oh, you're, and, and this is the only way to really correct the bail system, honestly, because cash, with cash bail, like you can try to say, oh, well, you you know, if the client doesn't have an ability to pay, then they, you know, that that's unconstitutional. They did that with the, the I think it's called the Brannigan case um, in the Massachusetts in the Supreme Judicial Court. But in practice, that doesn't really it doesn't really mean anything because they had a catch all after it that said basically, oh, unless this person is a danger to the public or a threat to the public, unless that, uh, you know, unless that uh, outweighs, you know, unless their their risk to the community outweighs you know the their uh, the the Commonwealth's interest in you know protecting this constitu- what they say is a constitutional right in their state constitution. So the only way to really correct the bail system is to get rid of cash bail. And if someone's dangerous and commits one of these more serious crimes, then you hold them. Then you hold them. Then you move to hold them. So a lot of this is going to depend on how stringent the higher courts or the governing body can. Uh, we'll be able to review the judge's reasoning for um, holding these uh, certain people that are eligible to be held. All right, 508-996-0500. I'm take a break. We'll be right back. Listen to us live. Marcus, uh, 508-996-0500 saying in the program. We're also taking messages on your app, on the app chat, and uh, I should probably open it. Uh, actually, before I say that, because I haven't opened it yet, sometimes I come in, I put my computer back on the table, I don't open it, uh, and I get into the middle of this show, I get in a, I get in a groove talking about all this fun stuff. That's fun for me. I hope it's fun for you. And then I, I don't, I don't bust out my laptop to to see if any of you have messaged me. So I'm in the process of doing that. But you know, we were talking about you know the progressive prosecutor uh, wave that came in 2018. You know where it's at in 20. 22, you know, four years later after that wave, um, you know, the DA's races that are going on right around here in Plymouth County, you have uh, Rasan Hall versus Tim Cruz, which is a really interesting race, which we will continue to talk about because we know it impacts a large portion of this audience here. And uh, someone had asked about the Illinois law that... The Illinois law that uh, had gotten rid of cash bail for a lot of offenses. New Jersey had that uh, program as well. I think to some pretty, pretty resounding, um, pretty 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 resounding uh, success. Actually, I think it was. It's been pretty successful so far. There hasn't been much call to uh, overturn it. New York has it as well. Uh, in reference to voter, uh, in reference to voter turnout. Just oh whoops, I uh, huh. whoops. And so I messed up the app here. That's an old message about voter turnout. I'm not sure if you're talking about. 
I'm not sure what you're talking about here. In reference to voter turnout, do you think that it's because this area is 90% Democrat, 90% Democrats, that people who are not Democrats just stay home? I don't think this area is 90% Democrat, uh, actually. I think 90% is a little high. Uh, and uh, there was about, in this county, there was about 30,000 Republican votes. Not 30,000, there's about 21,000 Republican votes and 30,000 Republican votes in Plymouth County uh, in the primary for Jeff Deal and Chris Toady. I don't know if that's more than last time. Um, and it's not the most Republican votes that have turned out. I mean, there's there was more in um, Worcester County and uh, I think in Essex, uh, Essex County as well. But I think 90% Democrats, a, uh, um, I think it's a little too high. Maybe 70, 60. I'm, I'm more inclined to say in the 60s. There might be some independents who maybe lean more Democrat. This area is... I think more conservative than people probably realize. Uh, you know, there's there's definitely you know we've got a couple of reps down here that are that are Republicans. We've got a Republican countywide official uh, who's up for reelection. But uh, series, I think there's a Republican mayor in Totten. So series fairly conservative. Um, but five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. I got to take this break. We'll be back. We'll be back tomorrow. I'm going to be joined by Adam Bass uh, in the 8 o'clock hour. We're going to talk about a lot of what's going on throughout Bristol County, uh, where we all live. But, you know, it's important because he's in northern Bristol County uh, writing for the uh, North Star Reporter in North Attleboro. And uh, we have a candidate for countywide office in the northern part of Bristol County that a lot of us down here often you know, we don't think about northern Bristol County a lot. And uh, most of our elected offices are dominated, in fact, by southern Bristol County. You've got John Saunders, Paul Kitchen, and uh, John Mitchell, all from Fairhaven, Fall, uh, Fall River, and New Bedford on the uh, on the county commissioners. You've got D.A. Tom Quinn from Fall River. You've got Tom Hodgson from, uh, well, New Bedford City Council now lives in Dartmouth. So, um, so you... You know, the, the, the southern part of the state has kind of dominated the countywide politics for uh, quite some time. Governor's Council or uh, Joe Ferrer, I mean, that's a more of a, that's a much bigger office, but still from Somerset. All right. So stay tuned. We'll be joined by Adam Bass. We'll be taking your calls, too, in the next hour.